Well, we're going to continue today. I have another message for you in mind along the lines of the sweet spot. Proverbs 25, 16 asks that great question. Do you like honey? And all the world said, amen. We love honey. It's sweet and it's wonderful and it's tasty. But then Proverbs says, well, don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Pooh Bear found that out, did he not? Honey tastes good, but you can't eat too much of it. And so we've been asking this question, is it possible to have too much of a good thing? Is it possible to have too much of a good thing? And over the past few weeks, we've talked about joy. We've talked about work ethic. We've talked about humility, freedom. Today, I want to talk about comfort. Is it possible to have too much comfort? So everybody here, just get comfortable because it's going to be a real long sermon. No, that's not what I meant. Just get comfortable because I want us to be thinking about comfort today. Is it possible to be too comfortable, to have too much comfort? Because I think we can make a decent case from Scripture that my comfort is pretty important to God. I think we can make a pretty good case. Let me give you some examples. 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, so on and so forth. What does the fourth verse say? It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They come for me. There it is. It's God's job to make me comfortable, isn't it? Right? And then Isaiah chapter 40, we like to quote this uh, at Christmas time. This is one of the, the prophecies from Handel's Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I thought for perhaps you'd sing the antiphonal part with me, but I don't know. There you go. Becky, I was looking in your direction. Psalm 46. This is one of my favorites because many, many Sunday afternoons I go home after a long morning of preaching. I like to put on my comfy clothes. I like to lay down on my sofa and I like to just be still and know. Right? Right, right? Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. What about Jesus? What did Jesus tell us about comfort? He, he said a lot of things about our comfort. Uh, one of the very first lines that scripture records he ever spoke. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Pretty good deal, right? And of course, his hallmark call to his disciples, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And you just can't rest if you're not comfortable. Right? I think we can make a pretty good case from Scripture that my comfort is important to God. You know the drill. I'm going to do the bait and switch here. Right? I think that Scriptures like these and, and others that, that we could add to them have led to some pretty bad teaching in the church. It's led to bad preaching. We have a lot of preachers. You can find them on YouTube. You can find them on TV. You can find them in churches up and down the streets whose primary message is that God wants you to just be happy and comfortable. God just wants you to live your best life, right? That's what God wants. They say, do things God's way and you will stay comfortable. Now, maybe, maybe not outright rich, but you listen to them for long enough, you listen to verses like this for long enough, and if you aren't careful, you can start to think that what God really wants is for me to be comfortably upper class, upper middle class, if I'm a little humble, right? And so there's a lot of teaching that tends to go that way. And even if we don't prescribe to that teaching per se, I think those thoughts begin to seep into our consciousness and into our minds. And we start to think, man, what God really wants for me 
is to have only healthy relationships in my life. What God really is going to accomplish is that all the people that I don't really like are going to move away, right? What God wants to do is make sure that my bank account is going to continue to grow, not so much as to raise suspicion, but enough to make me comfortable, right? And, And God is going to see to it that my favorite sports teams win all the championships. Still working on that one. Meanwhile, I stay exactly the way I am because everything is so comfortable. Let me give you an example of what that looks like in scripture. Actually, one of the most ancient stories in all of the Bible is the story of Job. And Job was really comfortable. He had a very comfortable life. He had a very comfortable family. He had a very comfortable career. He had a very comfortable bank account. He was very comfortable until he wasn't. If you know the story of Job, you know everything went south really, really quickly in Job's life. And Job had the kind of friends that with those you don't need enemies. Job's friends showed up and said, boy, doggy, you must have really ticked God off. Because in their mind, they believed that if you do everything God's way, God's going to see to it that you're pretty comfortable. And so if all of a sudden God has put you in a place where you're not comfortable anymore, the only explanation is you must have really ticked God off. Now, Job knew he hadn't ticked God off, but he kind of believed the same things that his friends believed. And so the only explanation Job could come up with was, well, God must be evil. Because he was also under the impression that if I do things the right way, God will take care of me. And I know I've done things the right way, and yet God doesn't seem to be taking care of me. Ah, God must be mean. That was the conclusion Job came to. And this conversation in the Old Testament goes on and on and on, chapter after chapter, with God just kind of listening to them going, Oh, my word. Literally, my word. See what I did there? And it's not until the end of the story that God chimes in and actually tells Job, here's what you've missed. Here's what you've missed. Sometimes God's best plans for our lives take us outside our comfort zone. I believe that our desire for comfort and this very faulty idea that God always wants me to be comfortable is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And it reminds me of a story I want to share to you, an incident involving Jesus. Now, this is a story you're probably familiar with it. Maybe you've heard uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. It's recorded in three out of the four gospel accounts. Matthew tells the story, Mark tells the story, and Luke, they all tell the same story. I'm going to read the account from the book of Mark in just a moment. But the idea is that near the end of Jesus's ministry, one day he went up the side of a mountain to pray, to spend some time with just three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And and so the four of them went up the side of this mountain. And while they were on the side of the mountain, the Bible says Jesus was transfigured before them, which means it explains suddenly his appearance changed. His clothes became dazzling white. There was just bright light shining all around. And three disciples looked and realized, oh my goodness, Jesus is having a conversation with two other guys. And they looked and they recognized that those guys were Moses and Elijah, which is really odd because Moses and Elijah had both been dead for several hundred years. Weird. 
And so they have this experience on the mountain. They see all of this is going on. They're not sure quite what to do with it. And so I'm going to read to you from Mark's account what he says happens, beginning in Mark chapter 9, verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, what Peter is saying here is let's get comfortable. This is a good place to be. Let's just get comfortable and stay right here. But then Mark adds this little aside. In parentheses, Mark says he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Now you might think Mark is throwing shade at Peter here, right? Like Mark's throwing some stones at Peter, right? But most historians and scholars will tell us Mark actually wrote his gospel based on interviews with Peter, right? So Mark isn't trying to, you know, throw any shade at Peter. What probably happened here is years later, Peter's telling Mark the story, and he's like, I, I have no idea what to say. I'm scared out of my tree. And so Mark includes that in the story, right? Then it says, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. And the voice said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And I included the first line from the next story, or the next paragraph, because I think it's important. They didn't see anything about Jesus. And the very next part of the story says, as they were coming down the mountain. So nobody's building anymore. Nobody's making plans to just stay put because it's so comfortable. Finally, they're moving on. And from that point forward in the Gospels, Jesus is laser focused on Jerusalem. That's where he knows he's going to go to die. Comfort is definitely no longer part of the equation. And I just believe that if we want to find the sweet spot when it comes to our own comfort, that is, if we want to make sure that we're pursuing God's will rather than pursuing our own comfort, we would do well to learn a few lessons from Peter. And the first one is this. If we're telling God what's good, we've grown too comfortable. If we're telling God what's good, then I think we've grown too comfortable. Did you notice that that's what Peter did? He said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Like Jesus needs to be informed what's good. Do you remember the story in the Gospels of the rich young ruler who approached Jesus and said, hey, good teacher, how are you doing? And Jesus looked at him cockeyed and said, why are you calling me good? There's only one good. Who's good? God is good. So why are we informing God as to what's good? God, in case you didn't notice, this is good. And God says, I think it's funny that you think that. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. I want you to notice the contrast. Peter is saying, I like this. Let's just get comfortable right here. We can build a little man cave. We'll have a sofa in there. I think I can get Wi-Fi up on this mountain. We're going to be really good. Let's just make ourselves comfortable right here. But Jesus has a very, very different perspective, doesn't he? He says, no, no, no. I have a mission. 
I have a mission. There's work to be done. It's time to move on. Mark didn't include this in his account of the story, but Luke in his gospel tells us that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were actually talking about Jesus' mission to go to Jerusalem and give his life up as a ransom for many. And so Jesus in this moment, is it good that he should stay on this mountain? No, no, no. That wouldn't be good at all. Jesus has work to do. But Peter's like, it's good, it's good, it's good. If we just stay here, it'd be really good, Jesus. No, no, no. If we're telling God what's good, maybe we've, we've flipped things around. Now, I am not suggesting that following Jesus should be some sort of painful drudgery, right? On the contrary, following Jesus should be a life marked with joy, right? It, Paul says we move from glory to glory. Like, this is exciting. This is exciting stuff. But sometimes, sometimes... I think it's hard for human beings to see beyond their own comfort zone. It's hard for us to see what God wants us to see when we limit the possibilities of his will for my life to what makes me most comfortable. I'm going to tell you the story of Amos, who was a prophet. We read his his writings in the Old Testament. God spoke through Amos to the nation of Israel trying to get Israel to listen and pay attention. Israel needed to recognize and respond to the needs of of marginalized people in their very own society. And God had been trying to tell Israel, you gotta listen up when I'm talking. You gotta pay attention to the people living just down the road from you that are hurting. But Israel wasn't listening. And the reason Amos says they weren't listening, on God's behalf, the reason, because they were too comfortable. Read these words from Amos chapter 6. Amos speaks on God's behalf. He says, Woe to you who are complacent. You lie on beds adorned with ivory, and you lounge on your couches. And he goes on to say, And you spend your days eating fine food, and listening to good music, and drinking expensive wine, and pampering yourselves at the spa, focused only on your own comfort. And therefore, you've missed out on what I've been trying to tell you. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking with folks, maybe somebody's trying to make a decision. Do I go on this path? Do I go on that path? And they want to talk it out with their pastor. They're maybe conflicted or struggling with the choice. It's not unusual for me to hear somebody say something like this. I think God would just want me to be happy. And in many cases, when they're saying that, they're referring to their income or or their relationships or a job choice or a living situation, something about a life circumstance. Do I go this way or do I go that way? And I'm struggling this, but I really think the bottom line is God would just want me to be happy or God would just want me to be taken care of or God would just want me to be safe or God would just want, and they fill in the blank with comforting words. And I have to say, in in, in some cases, they may well be right. Maybe God is leading, often God is leading us to decisions that can bring us to a place of, of tangible, real blessings in our lives. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I am saying is we cannot use our own comfort level as a way of determining what God really wants for us. We can't tell him what's good. It has to be the other way around. 
And there's a really, really practical reason why that's the case, and here it is. Comfort in what's known may just be fear of what's unknown, right? A lot of times I tell myself, well, I'm comfortable in this situation, but is it really that I'm comfortable in this situation, or is it that I'm afraid of the unknown? I'm afraid of of what might come next. Comfort in what's known may just be fear of what's unknown. Did you catch that in the story about Peter and the transfiguration here? He wanted to stay and get comfortable, but the story tells us, the storyteller tells us immediately why. He says, but the disciples were frightened. Yeah, let's stay here and get comfortable. But really he was saying that because he was scared out of his tree. Everything was changing. He didn't know what that would look like. If they were to head down that mountain, what's going on? How would that change? Would we lose what we have here if we move on? Are we going to lose that? I don't want to lose that. I'm afraid of losing that. Their fear was a big part of why they didn't want to move on. I remember several years ago sitting on the sofa very comfortably in my family room looking out. uh, We have a large sliding glass window that looks out on the backyard. There's a patio right there and there's a bird feeder. There were several goldfinches perched on the on the finch feeder just outside our window. And I kind of happened, just happened coincidentally to look up and see the goldfinches and, and just instantaneously there was this dark shadow and a hawk swooped out of the sky and plucked one of those goldfinches right off the feeder. I told you a very happy story last week about little Mo, the bunny, right? Well, this week it's a sad story about the goldfinch who was eating his lunch and then became lunch before he even realized what happened. This hawk swooped down, plucked him right off the feeder, and then landed in the yard a few yards away and just proceeded to have his his goldfinch lunch. Now, what was really interesting about that, I was like, whoa, cool. Sorry. (laughs) To all the goldfinch lovers out there, it was pretty awesome. Right? But what was really interesting about that is there were two or three other birds on the feeder at the time, and there happened to be a squirrel that was walking across my patio at just that moment, right in the middle of the patio. Any of those animals easily could have been lunch at that moment, but as it happened, the hawk just, he got the one that he got. But all of those animals, when it ha- none of them saw the hawk coming. None of us saw the hawk coming. But as it happened, just as quickly in an instant, every one of those animals froze solid and did not move. One of the goldfinches was hanging upside down and just continued to hang upside down. I'm like, don't move, (laughs) right? And the squirrel in particular, I thought this was very ironic. The squirrel was right in the middle of my patio, just like mid-squirrel leap. (laughs) And he just stayed there for a solid three or four minutes frozen like a statue. Completely ironic because in, in, in an instant he could have been underneath my grill or underneath one of the patio chairs in a place where he would be safe. I mean, granted the hawk had already moved on, but who knows what else is out there, right? He could have been safe, but here he is out exposed in the middle of the patio. If we don't move, they can't see it. He was scared out of his tree. <laughs> Frightened. And his response was, don't move. Stay right here. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been so scared you didn't want to move? And it doesn't really make sense. It's not logical. I mean, again, I'm inside. No hawk's going to carry me off, right? It's easy from the cheap seats, right? 
But I'm looking at this squirrel being like, buddy, you're gonna be, the, you're gonna be his brother's lunch if you don't move under, you know, find some cover. But he's like, no, I'm good here. If I move, I'd be afraid to move. I'm too afraid to move. I think that's what fear does to us. I think that's what it does. It paralyzes us. It might be comfort. It might feel, we might tell ourselves, well, I'm just very comfortable here, but really, really, really? No, you're afraid. You're afraid of what you don't know. I want you to think just for a moment about kind of the biography of Jesus, what the Bible tells us about his life. It says he was born out of wedlock while his family was on a trip to a crowded vacation town, right? So he wasn't even born at home. He was born in the garage behind the Days Inn because they had gone on vacation that weekend, right? In his early childhood, he lived as a refugee in Egypt, a foreign country. As a kid, he returned uh, to Galilee, and Galilee was kind of a a rogue state in Roman-occupied Palestine. He lived, uh, he left, he lived, listen to me, (laughs) he left his learned trade behind. Now the Bible doesn't talk too much about this, but we assume that he had picked up carpentry from Joseph. He didn't start teaching until later in his adulthood, probably about 30 years old. And so it seems likely that he made his living as a, as a carpenter. So we assume at some point he left that behind in order to begin traveling and teaching and raising followers. He spent his early teaching career mostly in kind of the backwater rural communities in the area, but gradually he moves and focuses on Jerusalem, the big city, and is there that he really becomes famous or depending on your perspective, notorious. Literally, Jesus's life is all over the map. He's just going back and forth and around big city, tiny burg, home country, foreign nation, you name it. He's had that experience. What I mean here is he's got no real place to call home, right? That was one of the problems that the people in his day had with the prophecies of the Messiah. We had prophecies that said he'd come from Egypt. We had prophecies that said he'd come from Bethlehem. We had prophecies that said he'd come from Nazareth. We had prophecies that said he'd be in Jerusalem. And people were like, obviously that couldn't be all one person. And Jesus said, you know, watch me, watch me. No real place to call home. Always on the move. Now think about what he told us. Follow me. Follow the man that was always on the move. There's something about following Jesus that demands us to constantly strike out of what's familiar into the unknown. Psalm 84 is a psalm that might be familiar to some of you because it's got a number of lines that found their way into a worship chorus that we used to sing pretty regularly. It's the psalm that says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God Almighty, my soul yearns and faints for you, for better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Right? Some of you remember that one. Well, there's a verse in the middle of Psalm 84 that didn't find its way into the lyrics of that song. And I wanna read it to you now. Psalm 84 verse five says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, check it, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Now being a pilgrim certainly doesn't necessitate moving our physical location. It doesn't necessitate doing what what Tim and Marquita have done Illinois, the Netherlands, 
uh, Scandinavia, how about the Caribbean, just to round things out, right? It doesn't mean that we have to be world travelers, but I think being that pilgrimage, living in God's blessing does require a willingness to step out of our comfort zones because we've got to do that if we're going to let God's blessing grab hold of our lives. I've told you before, I love being a pastor. I really do. It's my favorite thing. I've never loved anything as much as I love being a pastor, but it wasn't always that way. For most of my early career, most of my early life, I wanted nothing to do with being a pastor. I got involved in music ministry at church because I was a good piano player, and that was a safe comfortable spot for me to be in. People would call me Pastor Dan. I started at this church, 21 years old, leading worship for Pastor West, your former pastor. And some of you had the audacity to call me Pastor Dan. I thought you were foolish, right? And so I spent so many years at the front half of my career telling people, please don't call me that. That's not who I am. Please don't call me that. I wasn't comfortable with that. I told you guys a few weeks ago when Sue married me, she said one question, you're not going to become a pastor, are you? And I told her, thank you, thank you. I told her no. I told her no. Got her. Um, Sorry. I told her no because I really didn't think I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't think that was the direction I was going in. And so some of you know this about me. When I'm uncomfortable, you know what I do? I make jokes. That's what I do. Hi, I'm Dan, and I make jokes in uncomfortable situations, right? We need to have a support group for people like me, right? Right? And so I used to joke about, well, oh, good thing I'm not the pastor, right? I was working on a church set. Good thing I'm not the pastor. Well, you guys all figured that out. Obviously, I'm not a pastor here. <laughs> and I would make all these self-deprecating jokes about what a yutz I am because I'm not obviously equipped called, gifted, or prepared to be a pastor. And I thought it was funny. It seemed like a pretty good way of deflecting any sort of attention that I might get in the role I had. And usually I could make the other guys on staff get a good chuckle over it too. And then one day, I'll never forget this moment, I was making a joke like that standing in the hallway and one of my coworkers, one of my colleagues, a pastor that I deeply, deeply respect, didn't laugh. Didn't laugh. And he looked at me, he turned around and looked me at the eye and he said, Dan, someday you're going to have to grab a hold of the fact that God's called you to be a pastor. And he turned around and walked into his office and he slammed the door. Awkward. Right? I thank God for awkward. I thank God for awkward. Because if moments like that hadn't made me feel awkward, if love like that hadn't kicked me in the backside out of my comfort zone, I'd still be sitting behind a piano singing songs in some other church. And I love that, that season in my life, but it is over. And it was over a long time ago. I'm thankful for awkward. I'm thankful for uncomfortable. Fear of the unknown has a way of causing us to just place way too much emphasis on what makes me feel comfortable. So what should we do when we've overshot the sweet spot of comfort? Here it is. The cure for too much comfort is a renewed focus on Jesus. The cure for too much comfort is a renewed focus on Jesus. I take you back to the story of the transfiguration. We hear this voice from heaven that says, listen to him. And then the very next line, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. 
Now this is just, it's part of the reality of the story, right? The, the, the miracle, they saw Moses, they saw Elijah, and then in that moment, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are gone. It's, it's part of the story, but I think it's deeper than that. Listen to him, the father says, and Peter and James and John look around and they go, oh my goodness, all I can see. All I can see is Jesus. And I pointed it out to you when I read this story. We get to that point where all they can see is Jesus. And what's the very next thing that happens? Now they're ready to move on. Now they're ready to move out of their comfort zone. Now they're ready to go down the mountainside. Now they're ready to follow him into Jerusalem. Now they're ready to go where God is calling them to go because all they could see was Jesus. The cure for too much comfort is a renewed focus on Jesus. There are a lot of things in this life that are awfully tempting to us, right? We can all make mental lists of the things that we think will make us more comfortable. Money is almost always at the top of the list, let's be real. But there's relationships, there's security, there's success, there's fame. And, and we are not unique in that regard because the people in Jesus's day wanted those things too, don't you know? They wanted those things too. They wanted to be comfortable. They weren't, but they wanted to be comfortable. And look at what Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter six. He says, just seek first. First, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First, put your focus on your Lord and your king. And all these things will be given to you as well. Did Jesus mean that if you focus on him, he'll make sure you're rich and you're wealthy and you're successful and you're famous and all those things? Of course, he didn't mean that. But he said, put your focus on me and you're going to get where I need you to go. You're going to be where I need you to be. Put your focus on me. And you'll find the sweet spot in your comfort. Make God's will the sweet spot for your comfort zone. And you can live in the assurance that he will always watch over you. All these things will be added to you, right? It might not always be comfortable in the way that we think of comfort. But church, it'll always be right. It'll always be right. You know, it's, it, it's odd. Just, just one thought in closing here. It's odd what makes us comfortable. I am sure that most of you, like me, tend to think of comfort as, as what's safe, what's warm, what's cozy, right? As I was putting this sermon together, that's what I was thinking of. What's my comfort zone? What makes me feel safe and warm and cozy? Where am I best taken care of? But you know what occurred to me is, is kind of I, I, I finished putting these thoughts together. It dawned on me, the truth is we tend to get comfortable in some really unusual places. If we're tired enough, if we're hopeless enough, if we're discouraged enough, we will trick ourselves into thinking that any place is good enough to set up camp. When I was a senior in high school, I went on a missions trip with my church to, to Russia. I was the youngest one on the team. Everybody else was a grown-up, and I was the lone teenager. And we flew uh, to Moscow. Our flight from Chicago to Moscow was delayed by 12 hours. And so we had been up in the airport, and then you don't really sleep on the plane. And we landed in Moscow in the wee hours of the morning. And the problem was we had to get a connection for another long flight into the interior of Russia. And so we gathered all the luggage from the team. We probably had 25 or 30 big suitcases 
Here in the Moscow airport, which I can tell you in 1993, 92 was filthy. I don't know if they've cleaned it since. I won't speak to that, but 1992 in October, it was filthy. And we gathered all these suitcases and piled them up and the leader of our team had to talk to a translator and somebody on the ground, a contact, to try and figure out where we needed to go and what we needed to do in order to get our next connection. And they said, Dan, just sit with all those suitcases there and watch over them while we figure out what's going on. Not sure that that was really the wisest leadership decision Pastor made on that trip, but he said, Dan, you're the youngest guy here who has no idea what you're doing. You watch all our luggage. And I said, can do. And I remember going exhausted and sitting down on the filthy floor of the Moscow airport in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language and didn't know anyone, surrounded by suitcases like a bird's nest. I think I was on top of several of them, right? And for like 30 seconds, I was thinking, I'm gonna watch over these suitcases. And on second number 31, I was sound asleep. Sound asleep, I was exhausted. And here I am draped over these suitcases in a winter coat on a filthy floor of a foreign airport thinking, my goodness, this is so comfortable. We can make ourselves pretend like we're comfortable in some pretty awful places. I wonder how much spiritual growth is stunted because we've grown comfortable. Not necessarily comfortable in our own abundance with the good things, but I wonder how much is stunted because we've grown comfortable in our brokenness. I wonder how much is stunted because we are just so stinking tired and we're afraid to move on. And we're resigned to the thought that this yucky old pile of suitcases is good enough. We're tricking ourselves into believing, I guess this is all I'm really capable of. I guess I'll never be any better than this. And so I'd best try and just grin and bear it and tell myself I can make this work. You know what occurs to me? Sometimes... Sometimes the most comfortable pair of shoes you own, you know the pair I'm talking about, that you have had for years and years and years, and you can slip them on without even untying them, and you can kick them off without even noticing them, and when you're wearing them, it doesn't feel like you even have shoes on. You know the pair I'm talking about? You buy new shoes, but you never put those on because they're never as comfortable as the one you've been wearing for years and years and years. Sometimes that pair of shoes that feels so comfortable is the pair that stinks the worst. (laughs) And you don't even realize it because it just feels so comfortable to you. I wonder how much of our spiritual growth is stunted and frustrated and broken because we're comfortable in our own brokenness. Feels good to me, feels safe to me, feels normal to me. And frankly, I'm tired of trying to be any different. And so we echo the words of Peter, how about I just build a house and stay here? How about I just, how about I just stay here? Church, I want you to do this today as we close in prayer. 
I'd like you to reevaluate your comfort zone. Look, we all have them. There's no shame in that. We all have our comfort zones. There's no shame in having one. It's just that the man or the woman whose heart is set on pilgrimage is dedicated to the idea that from time to time, I got to take a good, honest look at my comfort zone and I need to decide, is this really where God wants me? Is this really what God requires of me? Is this really, is this why God sent Jesus for me? Is this it? I want to challenge you to reevaluate your comfort zone. And I want to give you this word of encouragement. Don't settle. Don't settle. Would you determine today, I want to move on. I want to move on. I want to not be here anymore. Would you do that? Would you pray with me? Just close your eyes. I want to begin to pray that prayer over you. I want you to picture the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit as he just in these final moments begins to envelop you. As he descends upon you, as he covers you and surrounds you. I wonder if you're really quiet in your soul, if you can even feel tangibly and physically what that must be like to be just totally surrounded by the loving, safe, protective presence of God. He loves you so much. But you know what? Part of that love is that he sees and he knows he sees your comfort zones. He can tell the difference between what he has provided for you and, and what maybe is holding you back. And so I want to ask you in this moment to just allow yourself a couple of seconds or a minute to listen to what he might have to say to you in this moment. Can I remind you, as you listen to him, that you're not hiding anything from him, <laughs> right? It's not like he didn't already see it. It's not like he doesn't get it. And it's not like it's going to be a surprise. But I believe he wants to remind you right now that the love that God has for you is strong. And it's going to move you. And it's going to shape you. And if you let it, it's going to stretch you. It's going to stretch you. And I believe that there are people today to whom God would say, I want to make sure that by the time you walk out the doors of this building, you're different than who you were when you came in. I think God is working that way today. I think there's some comfort zones that are being torn down right now. And so here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to make a commitment in your heart right now that says, God, I want to be different. I want to change. I want to see some of the patterns in my life that have held me back. I want to see them destroyed because I know this is not who you saved me to be. As you say that, I want you to hear this. 
There is no shame in saying this. Do you know that the word of God says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Right? When we come to Jesus and say, well, this stinks. There's not shame in that. God says, I know it stinks. That's why I sent Jesus. And that's what we're here doing. So he says, welcome, my child. Right? So will you make that commitment today? Will you say, God, I... I see some areas where I have gotten comfortable and maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe there's some things I've been afraid of so I've run to my own little comfort zones. Maybe, maybe I've tried to make the dirty pile of suitcases comfortable. Maybe I'm sitting in my own filth telling myself this is it. Better just make the best of it. In either case, church, there's a word here today in front of you that says no more. There's a word in front of you that says no more. And so I invite you to just make that commitment, saying, God, just one step today, one step today. I want to be different. I don't want to be comfortable anymore. I don't don't want to be in the construction business anymore, saying I'm going to build my house here. I'm going to just stay here. This is good. God, I don't want to tell you what's good for me anymore. I want my heart to chase after your heart. I want you to lead me to new places. God, I may never move. I may never need to, to submit a change of address form with the U.S. Postal Service. I may never move locations, but God, my spirit is growing. And my reality, my, my, my being is being changed. My heart is being transformed. I am going to be in a different place next year, next month, and next week, and next morning. Because your spirit is at work within me. I will not be comfortable any longer. Church, with your eyes still closed, if, if, if you're ready to make that commitment today, if you're willing to have me just know that about you and pray with you, would you just peek up and and make eye contact with me so that I know that I could be praying for you this week? I'm loving it. I'm seeing your eyes. God is moving in this place. God is moving in this place right now. I believe there's even more that are in a spot where they're struggling right now, but they want to make a commitment. Come on, your heart is saying, I don't want to be here any longer. I've tried to convince myself of the opposite for far too long, but I don't want to be here any longer. Spirit, would you move on our hearts right now? Spirit, would you move on our hearts right now? Take us and hold us and change us. Lord, with what we believe, Lord, is just your will in the foremost of our minds, we say right now, this is not all that you have for us. This is not the end of our story. This is not it. Father, my prayer for for my brothers and sisters, for my friends today, for my co-laborers in Christ, my prayer today is that you would move us to places of holy discomfort. That you would move us to places of righteous awkwardness. That you would stretch us and pull us and shape us and form us. A God that we would be ever on the move for your kingdom and for your glory. I thank you, Lord, that who we are today is not who you have created us to be. I thank you, Lord, that the comfortable places in our lives are but stinky shoes to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our ears and, yes, God, even open our noses to it today. 
I thank you for your work in our midst. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I certainly hope I didn't make you feel uncomfortable. But I'm grateful for the ministry God is doing in our midst. Would you have a great week? Would you stop and visit with Tim and Marquita on your way out? And would you live in the blessing of God's favor? Amen.